I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, good people. Welcome back. So glad that you are here. I mean, aren't I always like, I really love y'all. Love y'all. You know that. And if you don't know that, you better ask somebody. Oh, ask me. I love you. Okay, cool. So look, check this out. I'm always excited to bring in amazing people and the woman who I have with us today, y'all, and I say dope, like that's very much so an understatement, but really she comes at a great time where, you know, though last month was financial literacy, I think for our group, especially those who are just now coming out of school, be it that it's undergrad or grad, or, you know, thinking about life now that you got time to breathe and these graduations are over, we just talk about money. So we are talking about money again. And I told you, I'm going to keep talking about money around here because when we don't talk about money, we don't do better with it. So anyway, I have with me, I'm going to say it, the bougie budgeter. The bougie budgeter, my bad. The bougie, it's just bourgeois. I think, so I think about lunch when I hear bougie or brunch rather for black people. Is that right, Mikhail? Mikhail, bougie. Bougie, <laughs> bougie yes. Bougie, yes. Bougie, yes. It's yeah. okay. And you're the first person I've known to call themselves bougie. <laughs> but I say it on low. <laughs> but y'all, listen, well, let's welcome Mikhail James. Mikhail, Hi. Hi, how are you? And yeah, you know, most people are going to never call themselves bougie because it's like, it's like, oh, like, I don't want to be bougie, but I'm like, okay, whatever. I know I am. (laughs) Listen, Megan and Beyonce said they're bougie and they're savage. You know, you can be a jack of all trades. You can you can be more than one. And I chose just to be bougie. You know what? Nothing wrong with being bougie. Nothing at all. And you know, it's really funny because again, when I think about bougie, I think about brunch because I remember telling somebody a while ago, like, oh, I enjoy brunch. He's like, oh, that's what bougie people do. Like, what? <laughs> I thought that's what people do, period. You know, it's just a late lunch. And so, <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with bougie. But I, I love how you would embrace that but it makes you look at your brand you know even more because it's like the bougie budgeter what is that because I mean it really caught my eye and I thought even you know like boutique as well and you know just exclusive and you're gonna get something fancy and good when you come this way so I love that if you will you know tell us about yourself who are you where you're from what are you doing you know all the fun stuff about you so the fun stuff, my name is Michael, and I am the bougie budgeter, the one and only, okay, I paid a lot of money for me to be the only <laughs> bougie budgeter. <laughs> so if, if you hear anybody calling themselves a bougie budgeter, just let me know and me and my lawyer will handle that because that's what bougie people do. Bougie people have lawyers. <laughs> um, and I am the youngest of six children. I am what 
I like to call the product of what happens when you actually teach your children about financial literacy. And I decided that I wanted to create a platform that embraced and empowered people to talk about their money freely and not feel ashamed to enjoy brunch, to, you know, like to vacation and do things. I am not one of those people that's going to shame you for wanting to buy a Rolex over having an investment property. Because if your money is right and you have your investments coming in and you say, I don't want to ever deal with a rental property, I just want a Rolex, go ahead and buy your Rolex. Because to me, as long as your bills are paid and your savings is stacked, you can spend your money on whatever. And that is not sitting right with a lot of people in the finance community. A lot of times they preach scarcity. Mm-hmm. They preach limitations. And I did not like that. I, I did not register to that conversation. My parents always taught me about abundance. They taught me that money is a tool. It is not something to harbor on because, you know, it is coming and it, go- it comes and it goes and it does not change you as a person for wanting nice things. And that is not a lot of times the, the message that we're hearing with money. And I wanted to change that message. So that is how the Bougie Budgeter was created. That is how I have been sharing my message and people are really loving it. And it just gets me excited every time someone invites me to speak. Someone says that they love the workbook that I've created because it's helped them really manage money because it really all starts with a budget. I'm with that. I love that. So something you said that really you know, caught me is that you came up with financial literacy. Could you tell the difference between what you knew about money and what people around you knew about money growing up? And then if that is the case, what did you do to try to help those people? Yeah, so I want to say first, I I didn't learn in a sense of my mom sat me down and said, this is what a stock is and this is what bonds are. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is not how we learned. Okay, my mom... Again, she has six children. I we're really like the Black Brady bunch. Like my dad had two <laughs> girls. My dad, my mom had two boys. They got married, and then they had two more children. So it was six of mm. us, and we had to make things stretch. My parents, by no means, were rich people. My mom is a secretary. My dad worked for the post office and for the water company full time. So he had two full time jobs growing up. I grew up in a house where both my parents worked. They worked hard and they taught us about money. So my dad taught me about interest. Right. So one of my sisters stole a honey bun from him. And it's not like a fancy honey bun. It was (laughs) a dollar honey bun that you can get at any gas station or whatever. But she took it, right? And my dad was so mad, okay? He was like, okay, for every day that you do not give me back my dollar or give me back my honey bun, it's 10%. I'm going to charge you 10% interest. By the time she paid him back, she owed my dad $10. Oh. And that was the first lesson I had ever known about like interest and to me it's funny it was more so like what a crazy punishment but I'm actually learning how interest works and that's how it works you know if you don't pay back what you owe they are going to charge you more and my dad will always say like you know it's not fair but 
because you took from me, I get to set the rules. And that's really what happens. You know, when you are taking from the bank, when you are taking from these companies, when you're using their products and you haven't paid them, they get to make the rules on how you pay them back. My mom taught me about opportunity costs. We are the family that does not have a Christmas tree. Mm. And people think that is so weird, but I never thought it was weird growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you don't find things are weird until you talk to somebody else. And they're like, oh no, that's not what we do. So we never had a Christmas tree. And I was never confused about why we didn't. But then when somebody told me that I'm supposed to have a Christmas tree, so I go to my mom and I'm like, um, hey girl, why don't we have a Christmas tree? And mind you, I'm like seven. <laughs> and she's like, do you want the tree or do you want the Christmas gifts? Mm. And I was like, well, I want the Christmas gifts. I, like the tree to me means nothing because what, what good is a pretty tree if there's no gifts under it? Mm. And that is really what opportunity cost is. You know, some people would rather have the tree, have things look pretty, but not have anything else underneath. And I don't know about you, girl, but for me, I I like the gifts. And yeah. if, it's, if it doesn't look super pretty, that's fine because I know that all the gifts inside those boxes are going to make me so much happier than any tree would have. I can dig that. I can dig that. We, we didn't like sit down and have textbooks and she told me what a savings account is and what interest rates are and things like that. They set up you know, different learning things that we did as children. And then in turn, that got me to asking questions. I took my first accounting class when I was in 10th grade and I fell in love with the numbers and learning how people did not talk to their parents about money, right? Mm -hmm. I never wanted to get a job because my mom scared me. And she was like, well, if I get a job, then I'm gonna have to pay taxes or I'm gonna have to like get tax, like do a tax return. And I was like, well, I'm gonna push this off as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And then I took my first tax class and I understood like, yeah, I would have to fill out a tax form, but it's not in a sense of like, I will actually have to pay taxes because I don't make that much money and I'm still a dependent. Mm. Now, I had a friend in college and we had similar backgrounds. Again, neither one of us were super rich, but we were at a very expensive college, private HBCU. So we, we kind of connected and she was telling me about- You gonna tell them what that was? Oh, <laughs> I went to, you know, the illustrious Hampton University and my parents, they really, again, gave all six of us the opportunity mm -hmm. to go to college. Only me and my sister that's three years older than I, we're the only two that graduated, but we all had the opportunity. And some people don't even understand the gravity of that. Like having, mm -hmm. having parents that gave every single last one of their children the opportunity to go to college, even though they have never, they did not finish college themselves. Mm -hmm. It's just so powerful. And so back to my homegirl. So I'm talking to her and I'm like, she was saying like, yeah, my mom, and she had worked at McDonald's since she was like 14, right? She had been working at McDonald's for forever. Mm -hmm. And that's how she paid her way through college. And she was like, my mom told me not to file my taxes. And she would just give me some money from the tax refund that she got. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's, that's not right. That's not right. That doesn't sound right. And that's because I realized that people don't understand taxes. 
And her mom thought that if she filed her taxes by herself, that it would take away from her mom's tax refund. Now, also, my parents did not get a tax refund, so I didn't know what a tax refund was for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out what it was, I was like, oh, I kind of don't really want one of those. But... (laughs) Uh, she she had been doing that for years and I was like do you know that you can file your tax return and still file as a dependent and it does not affect your mom's tax return she had never known we were like by this time like 19 20 years old and she had been doing it for like the last five or six years and I was like girl you are missing out on the money that the government is actually taking from you on your own McDonald's check because you were getting bad information and you know no offense to mom but she just didn't know and that was when I realized that the conversations that I was having and the conversations that other people were having with their parents about money was not the same Mm, I'm digging all of this and for many reasons and let me tell you what's going through my head right now something I'll keep talking about is that you may not have it all but if you know something it's worth sharing because one of the things that keeps us from talking about money, especially when we don't come from money, is not having it. But like you said, what you know about interest and what you know about taxes, what you've been exposed to, what you know, what you gravitated toward ended up being helpful because of how you changed your life. And it's with that that I'm glad you mentioned the importance of even just having a conversation saying, girl, did you know this? Because until we help people do better, we can't as a community, as a people, none of that. And so I thought that that was really powerful how you took what you learned and still was able to share it with somebody else. Because otherwise she would have been doing the same thing, right? Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people don't know how taxes work. I'll even say I didn't really understand it until I took a, a full tax class. Like I knew I didn't even know. Again, I didn't know that you you had tax refunds because my parents, in theory, on paper made a lot of money but with six kids you know you don't really make that much money (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but in theory they made a lot of money so I was always used to my parents paying taxes and then when I went to high school that was the opposite people were talking about tax returns and refund money and I was like what does that even mean like I don't get it and when I found out that was like basically the government paying you back for the money that they took too much out of during the regular year, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want that. But we are so trained to believe that a tax refund is a good thing. And it is not. Tax refund means you paid too much money to the government. So now they're giving you that money back. But oh, by the way, while you were giving too much money to the government, they were taking it, investing it getting interest off of it and they give it back to you interest-free and Mm. you have some tax preparers who don't understand money who will tell you okay well when you're w4 put zero as a single person and i never recommend you putting zero because that means they're going to take the max amount of taxes out so you get less money now right Mm -hmm. and they'll give it back to you on the back end come April or, you know, since right now it's in July, they'll give you your money back in July. Again, interest-free, they just held it on and made money off of it and then they give it back to you. No. (laughs) You want to get your tax refund, honestly, as close to zero as possible 
because that means you have been giving too much money to the government for the entire year as a single person working a regular nine to five job. Mm. And then, you know, I'm be for real because I'll be transparent. That's the first I've actually heard that. And the flip side is being an entrepreneurship, right? Being an entrepreneur, what you learn about taxes, because I've learned most of what I've learned about taxes, being an entrepreneur and how it generally favors business. What do you say to that, especially for those who are like us? Well, you know, I'm working my nine to five, but I got this business and how does taxes work then? Anything that you want to say to that? Yeah, absolutely. So I am learning more about taxes as an entrepreneur as well, because as a full-time worker, because I do work full-time as well, I make money in the 22% bracket, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're taxing me at the most at 22%. But when you factor in other things, like, you know, you want to pay attention to those tax Mm write-offs. So being in business, it really, really helps you, especially when you're in your first one or two years, you know, you're spending a lot and you're not really taking in a profit that will help lower your your personal income. So like I I spent quite a few dollars um, on my first year in business and it registered as a loss. So that helped take down my tax refund because otherwise I probably would have, if I didn't have the business, I probably would have had to pay um, because of how much my income is. Mm -hmm. And I keep my withdrawals at between one or two that is like just the the best way for me to think of it because again I want my money now and if I have to give the government $500 back at the end of the year I would rather that and have all of my money now so I can use it to invest and start my business and those kind of things so the tax code definitely does benefit sole proprietors and LLC business owners much more because there are so many extra things that you can write off, mm-hmm. you know, your startup costs, all of those kind of things, transportation, all of that is in favor of a business owner. And those are the kind of things that you want to think about. But if you don't want to be a business owner, that's fine. Um, not everybody wants to, but think about other things that you can do to help decrease your liability. So one thing would be investing into a uh, 401k or another employer retirement fund that takes your money pre-tax. So there's two different types of retirement funds. It's going to be a pre-tax or a post-tax. So pre-tax is before the government takes their cut, you are taking some money out of your your dollars. So when you're looking at your statement, your pay stub, it's going to have your net income, that's how much you're taking home, you know, your net. And then you have your gross, but then it's like at the tippy top, how much money you actually made during that period. And then they, right after they say, okay, you made $4,000 this period. And then they take 10% off. So they take $400 out of that. And that goes straight into your 401k investment 
portfolio. And then the government takes their cut with the taxes and the social security. And then <laughs> after that, you get your, your money. And then that also works if you have an HSA or anything that's pre-tax. So before the government takes their social security and their, and their standard tax deduction, that's where that money is coming from. So that lowers your income on your W-2s when it's time to do taxes. Another thing that you can do is donate. Like give to a charity, a registered charity that will give you like a receipt for donating and a lot of your colleges. So this is a push, especially for my HBCUs, Mm -hmm. alumni, this is a push to say like donating to your alma mater only gives good things, right? It gives your the people there money. And then it also helps you when it comes to taxes, paying into your student loans, your interest mm-hmm. that gets taken off. So you get a deduction for your student loan interest that you pay and you don't have to do an extra schedule. So there are definitely things that you can do to help lower that burden, but you, you have to take the steps and know that just going to work <laughs> and collecting your check is not going to help with the taxes on the back end. Mm, y'all, she's dropping bombs. I hope y'all catching this <laughs> because really, I love the idea that like for me, entrepreneurship wasn't something that I'd ever like. I'm going to be an entrepreneur one day. Kind of like stepped into it, but I learned, I, I learned to love it. I mean, I love it, period. I was really afraid at first, but when I first got started, similarly, I didn't know of all the things that I could have written off that I did not in my first year. And it even was like, wait a minute, huh? <laughs> you mean it like, like phone bills or if you work from home, utilities, like part of your utilities for the space that you use, renting, you know, a computer. So even getting into entrepreneurship for me changed how I perceive everything. Like I'm no longer a buyer. I'm really big on leasing things. And especially being that it's for my business, like this computer. Yes, I have personal reasons for using it, but my microphone, my speakers, like everything that I'm using, especially for business, being able to say, this is a business expense. And that changed the game for me. And that also made me realize or re-realize the American dream and why that's partially business because of how some of the laws are set up to favor businesses. And so on the flip side, like you're saying, unless you don't want a business, what you said, it is not for everybody because listen, I know you know, it's hard. (laughs) It's a lot of work. It is. It's a lot of work, but for what it's worth, it's definitely helped me rethink what it means to to obtain wealth as well. Because working and like I said, having those taxes taken, how they put it, I don't know if you've ever you know, followed or really looked into Robert Kiyosaki, I'm sure you have, but it's kind of like that rat race. You go to work for them to take taxes to tax everything else. But when you are in business, it's just how it's just treated different. But yeah, but anyway, I love that. And thank you for that knowledge and for that perspective, right? Because having both sides of it, now you who is listening can make some decisions for yourself. And like I said, don't feel pressured to be in business, but also think about ways you can continue to help and help yourself. I'd be curious to know from you, Michael, because like I said, you are really, I love, I love this. I love this. What would you say to people though, who are, you know, still trying to figure out this money thing for themselves and they have some bad money habits? How can they start to unlearn some of the bad things that they were taught about money, even around mindset or, you know, how to invest your money, how to save, how to even budget. What are, what are your thoughts on those things? I am a huge fan of a good money date. Okay. Like I am a person that 
is not afraid of numbers. And you don't need to be afraid of numbers either because the numbers tell a story. Mm. And okay, it's the accountant in me, the background, but I love the numbers because they tell a story. And you don't know what story you're writing until you look at, you know, what's been written. Mm. And that's your bank statements, right? When you write a paper, like you don't know how far you have to go or if it even makes sense if you don't stop and proofread. So this is the time that you want to start dating your money. Like get in bed with it. Like make it such a habit that nobody can tell you about your funds because you know about it, right? Mm. So that is why I created the workbook because I wanted to take people through four easy steps to get from... I don't know, like I have no control over my funds to this place where I know where my money is going. I know what is happening and I feel good about it because we don't feel good about our money. And that's why we don't want to talk about it. Like people are very much ashamed of not having a handle on it. And that's why, you know, we we try to keep up appearances. That's why we don't really want to disclose how much money we make because we are ashamed. And honestly, I make $70,000 a year and I make the least amount of money than all of my friends. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's fine. It's fine. Like we have to get into the habit of looking at our money, understanding our bank accounts and forgiving ourselves for the past mistakes. And that is one of the key things that I think a lot of other financial gurus really miss, okay? They they want to first say, oh, well, the, the key to overspending is to stop spending. Mm. That is not the key because some people really have an addiction to spending money and it's not looked at as a psychological thing and it really is you know we have to start talking to ourselves and talking to our money nicer so every wednesday i do this every wednesday and well from my personal self i do it every day but every wednesday i post a money mantra and for myself every morning i i say mantras to myself and i say things like i am so grateful for the money that is in my bank account at this current moment, Mm -hmm. right? Like being present and understanding that I'm grateful, like whether I have $5 or $5,000 in my checking account and my savings account right now, I'm so grateful for it. Like I'm, and I'm grateful for the money that I had in the past. I'm grateful for the money that I will have in the future. And we are missing that, that gratitude for money. And Mm -hmm. then we're saying things like, oh, money is the root of all evil. <laughs> that, you know, money is just all these bad things. And first of all, money is not real, okay? It is an energy. It is not something that you can inherently good or bad because it is a thing. Like, would you call a hammer good or bad? Like, oh, this is a bad hammer. No! (laughs) So, (laughs) your money is literally a hammer and it can, just like a hammer, it can build a house or it can destroy a house. And we have to start talking to our money 
way better than what we're doing now. We have to start attracting money and feeling good about the funds that we have in our account because I'm telling you, like a lot of people don't feel good about it. A lot of people are scared. Like, sis, if you are one of those people who don't like to look at your bank account, why not? Mm-hmm. What's, what's what's going on with that? So that's why I wanted to create this platform where I take you through four different steps and it's in the workbook as well. Just we want to start with your income because some people really don't know how much money is coming in. Like they know they get paid. Okay, it's payday and I'm not broke. What does that mean, right? Do you know how much money you're spending on your expenses? A lot of times people want to start with, oh, like you need to cut out Netflix. And it's like, well, sis, that $12 Netflix is not really killing my budget as much as the $700 car note that I have. Mm-hmm. that I haven't even looked at to see if I can get refinanced to get a lower interest rate. Like, what's happening with that? And we are so conditioned to look at small numbers that we're not looking at the big things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. We're not looking at our credit. We're not looking at ways to lower our living expenses and really seeking out what makes us happy. If Netflix makes you happy, by all means, leave that $12 thing in your budget. But if you don't care if you're riding in a Jag or if you're riding in a Chevy, then maybe it's time to look at the type of car you're driving versus looking at taking away Netflix. Stop trying to focus on these small dollars. And then the next thing you want to do is start saving and investing. So traditionally, people want to leave like 20% of their budget for saving and investing and debt payment. And I'm not with that, okay? Like, I am a big advocate of having a healthy emergency fund, emergency savings, and saving towards your goals and using some money, some portion of your money to invest. Like, investing and saving has to be built into your your budget or you're not going to do it. It's that, that's just that simple. Mm-hmm. And then after all of that, right, I'm taking you through you know how much money is coming in, what mandatory things need to be paid to go out, and you have saved your money. So your bills are paid, your savings are stacked. Whatever you have left over is your spending money, and I don't care what you do with that, mm-hmm. okay? If you want to go learn how to do a backflip, go ahead and do that, sis. <laughs> if you want to go buy your Rolex because you have all this money left over and there ain't nothing else that you want to spend your money on but a Rolex and a Chanel purse, please go buy it. That's fine. I don't care because if you're not starving for food and you're not living out your car, then you're good. You're good in my book. Okay. Like everybody's not looking to be a millionaire or a billionaire, and that's completely fine. Mm, mm. You know what? If we were in a room together, I would throw my shoe across the room at you because <laughs> what you're saying is is everything. What you do with your spending money is for you to do, but that's your priority, right? I've had this this money mindset that I've had to shake. And like you said, a lot of financial gurus have a tendency to make us feel like we can enjoy our lives if we have debt or we have things to be doing. Everything needs to be conservative. That's a good way to put it. And so thank you for the reminder to all of us that it's about having balance. And in due time, if you should have debt, it'll be paid off. You'll be able to make the investments, but you can't have one without the other. Because here's the other thing about investing that I know. When you do invest, you can even take that money and put it towards something else. <laughs> and so 
when we start to see things differently and we understand them differently, can we take different approaches? But I think far too often too many people are, don't do nothing, don't have anything, take out all the fun, and then you're miserable because all you're doing is just trying to, uh, what's a good word for it? Just trying to make it work when it doesn't work. It's kind of like being in a bad relationship, right? This don't work. I see that it don't work, but I'm gonna keep doing it anyway because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's just, it's kind of crazy. So yeah, I love, love, love all of this. Um, so we're at a point though that we are having to wrap up. I don't want to, but <laughs> I know we have to because you know I know y'all got things to do out there. But what I want to know from you is if there's anything that you could leave us with, especially you know us first gen professionals and entrepreneurs and grad students and all that. Uh, what would you share with us? What what is the thought that you want us to carry? You know, I get so emotional thinking about just again the gravity of being a first generation college graduate. And it did not really hit me until I started my first job. And I make more money than my mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's been working for more than 30 years. And my salary by myself is half of my parents' combined salary. Mm-hmm. And they work three jobs between both of them. Mm. And what I had to realize is as a first generation college student, you have to be comfortable at looking outside of your family. Mm. And you have to be comfortable with taking on that role as the, the money person, because that's what you are. The statistic is... The, the median family income for first-generation college students is around $41,000 for an entire family. The average college graduate is graduating with a salary around $48,000. So more likely than not, you are going to be making more money than your family. And whether that is $8,000 more <laughs> or... If it's almost $25,000 more than, you know, your parents, your mom, your dad, whoever, you know, raised you and helped put you through college. And it is scary as heck. I am not going to lie, but you have to put your gas mask on first and you, you have to put your money mask on first. You have to get your finances in order Because if you are drowning financially, there is no way in hell that you can help anybody else in your family. Mm -hmm. And I get it because that is me. I I want to help my parents retire very smooth. I don't want them to have to pick up another job after they've retired and said that they were done working. I don't want them to have to do that. And there are so many other things that I I could talk about money wise that you could do to protect your family, but that is what, that's what you're seeking. You know, I get it. You're seeking to protect your family. And the only way that you can do that is by putting on your financial gas mask first and then coming back to help them. I'm not saying forget about them. I'm not saying don't help them because, you know, a lot of times people don't have that luxury to understand that, I truly do have to help my parents. Mm -hmm. I don't have that choice of not saying or, you know, not giving to them or not helping my nieces and nephews. I don't have that luxury. 
because that's just not how my family is built. That's not how a lot of first-generation college students' families are built. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have to do much more and I know that I have to put things together so that I can give to people around me because they don't have the same opportunities. They don't have that same access. And because I do, I'm going to know that I'm going to help my my nieces and nephews as much as they can. And I'm going to help my parents as much as they can and need to know that I can't stress myself out and I can't stretch my, my money too thin because if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you just said a word. <laughs> you you said a lot today and I couldn't have said it better. Michael, I thank you so much for your wisdom, for the belief in the work that you do, for stepping out into your own thing and being willing to change how we see money. And I'm going to just go ahead and say it, especially those of us who are people of color and women, because the research I see says that Black people are far behind when it comes to money and saving and investing and all these things. And then women are even further behind, especially Black women. So thank you for that wisdom and for really just blessing us with even a little bit of who you are today because it's major. And I, yeah, I did say blessing us, didn't I, y'all? Okay, I love you too. But it's really something to consider that as we're moving forward, because we've been exposed, we can't we can't say that we didn't know or we can't, you know, deny ourselves that responsibility that we need to take on to do whatever's next. So y'all, y'all go check out Michael and in these show notes, you know, ever all of her information is there. So go look at it, go get it, go cop that workbook and change your life. And Michael, thank you again so much for being here today. I'm wishing you well with your bougie self and all that you do. <laughs> Yeah. And before we go, I would also love if anyone, if you guys love what I was just, you know, chatting about, if you want to know more information about the workbook, please go ahead onto my website, bougiebudgets.com. So B-O-U-J-I-E because bougie with a G looks like boogie to me. So bougie with a J, B-O-U-J-I-E budgets, B-U-D-G-E-T-S dot com and you can get a copy of the workbook but if you use code first gen so first g-e-n you can get the workbook for $19.95 instead of the regular $39 because I want everyone to really start getting in love with their money okay and you know use that extra $20 to start your emergency savings account or whatever you want to (laughs) do got that and again that that information will be in the show notes so make sure y'all check that out be like what she say i didn't write it down it's already there it's already there all right well look thank you again for being here and so looking forward to all that you do and let's definitely stay in touch and know that if you ever need anything we here at the first gen lounge we have your back